0: Welcome back to The Francisca Show, the show on which people share their stories. This is the Survivor Special, where survivors of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse come forward to share their experiences, thereby raising awareness and preventing the likelihood of it happening again. No further research has been done into these stories. This episode is intended for mature audiences and listener discretion is advised. We changed the names, to provide some privacy to our dear guests who are coming onto the show to share their very vulnerable and personal experiences. I am Francisca, and you are listening to the No More Silence special on The Francisca Show. And just one more thing, we altered the voice a little bit to protect the privacy of our guests. Welcome to the show, Chaim. We are... Very happy to have you here. We hope this is a platform that provides the space for healing for yourself as well as many others or people who are in need of support from other people. If this is hard for you to listen or you think this doesn't apply to you, this might concern or be very relevant to someone who is in your life. And if you see certain signs, you might be in a place to help someone. So bringing awareness to the community is an important thing. We're not just here to talk about this for no reason. So join us in this mission. And thank you, Chaim, for joining us today on this mission and opening up here and being vulnerable with us. Uh, I'll let you start wherever you feel it's relevant to start with.
1: Okay. Um, So, first of all, thank you for having me on. I feel privileged to be on your show. I also want to say that this is a huge step for me. It's a huge step, you know, to actually be able to come out, although I'm not coming out in person, but to just be able to come out and say my story is a huge step for me. And for myself, it's just a big step of healing, which... I'm I'm actually proud of, and it's very special for me um, to be able to do this, and like I always say, um, I suffer really, really, really a lot, and if I could use my suffering and all my challenges that I've been through to help even one victim, it gives some sort of meaning to my suffering, and it just it's the best healing that I could do. I've done so many healings, and helping another victim or potential victim out there means so much to me it, it 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 means the world to me and it's one of the most healing things that I could do and I've done it and it's one of the most healing and powerful things that I could do so again thank you for having me on your show
0: you are so welcome
1: um, okay so I want to start from somewhere really where I feel is very important and I I'm want to talk about it later on um, but I want to start from this because I feel like it's so 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 important And that is that I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Um, My parents were very, um, not sexually abusive, but very emotionally, religiously, socially abusive. Um, There was a lot of dysfunction going on. No love at all. I didn't get an ounce of love at home. Just a lot of confusion and a lot of just, the, the message in the home is just don't be here. Just like you don't belong here. Um, just, just do everything perfectly. Don't do anything, um, wrong. Just be perfect. And if you're not perfect, you don't belong here. And I sort of took on the role to take care of the whole family. Um, I put away my whole life to just take care of the family because I was so terrified that anything would just cause the whole delicate equilibrium to explode. Um... The reason why I'm starting from here and not from my actual sexual abuse is because I find that there's so much awareness out there about talking to your kids about sexual abuse and just looking for signs and and things like that. But I find, and I actually wrote a piece about this, that one of for me, for myself, and for so many other abuse victims out there, I find that it all started from the home that they grew up in, and if you if, if you're missing love at home and you just get confused and, you know, emotionally abused at home and you get no love at home, you will automatically be a very, very, very strong potential target on both ends. Number one, you're will will you will, um, you starving for love. So anybody that gives you the slightest form of love, you're going to grab onto it and you're going to take it. And number two is a predator for some, I don't know how. But I've spoken to so many survivors or victims, wherever they're holding, and they all say the same thing that somehow these predators know they could feel out the vulnerable kids and um and, 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 and they just pick on them because I, I don't know how they could figure it out, but they just do. And they they pick on them because they know they're so starving for love, number one, and number two, they know that they're a little bit off and they're not gonna Tell out on them, and they're not going to, you know, they're not, they're just an easy target. They're an easy target to get to, and they're an easy target because they won't be exposed to the public. So, this is a very important piece, and I'll maybe I'll expand on it a little more later. Um, but this is really where my life started. Like, this, this is what really set me up for my sexual abuse um, growing up in a very, very dysfunctional home, getting no love, just being confused growing up, terrified of my parents, of my father, just a very, 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 very very unhealthy situation. Um, There's a lot to say about that, but I'm not going to focus on that. I'm just going to move right on. So I move into, I went through school, um, I got to high school, and there was a boy, an older boy, um, came into the school in the middle of the year, and he... He was a bit interesting, and being that i being that I like was a caretaker at home, I sort of like said, "Okay, here's a boy that needs some support. Let me go over to him and let me be his friend, and let me help him out." I just continued my role at home, and I just did it over there Now, I was warned by other people not to not to befriend this boy because he's a creepy he's a creepy guy. And he's done creepy things in the past for in the school that he was at before and I just stay very far away from him. But being that I grew up in a very, very sheltered home and I was so starving for the love, I just I, I just like I, I didn't believe it. I was too naive to believe it. And I, I was brought up so sheltered and so naive and and in a box. So I just didn't believe that these things go on. So You know, I went over to him and I befriended him and I helped him out, and I, you know, I became sort of his friend. Um, The friendship lasted for a very short amount of time because it turned around very, very, very quickly. And he must have seen that in me that I was vulnerable and he got his target right away. And the reason why I say the friendship lasted a very short amount of time is because. In the beginning, it was like a mutual relationship, like we liked each other. And then he slowly or pretty, he pretty quickly turned it around to be a one-way friendship. Um, He was a very narcissistic, extremely narcissistic, um, evil, very evil um, person. I mean, I don't even want to call him a person because he was so, such a, um, disgusting person, uh, a disgusting being, um, and he slowly, slowly, slowly—it's called the grooming process, which I'm sure everybody is familiar with, or I don't know if you're familiar with it. But it's basically you slowly, slowly, you you shower this person with love and you help them and you you just compliment them and you tell them how great they are and whatever, whatever, and 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 then eventually, um, me being so so love starved i'm like oh my gosh here's this guy who's giving me so much love and attention um this is it this is my dream come true and um and 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 once he finished grooming me which actually didn't take that long because i was so love starved it didn't take that long um i was his that's it i'm like once once the grooming process is over i feel like there's no turning back like it is what it is like they have you Um, they're, they're done. Like you are theirs and there's no turning back at that point because they completely own you. Um, what he did was he slowly started his manipulation of me first socially. He didn't allow me to be friends with anybody else. He didn't allow me to talk to anybody else. I couldn't go to, um, town or I couldn't go anywhere without him. Like I was his, I couldn't be, if he would catch me talking to someone else, he would call me out on it. He needed to learn with me all day. Like I was his, socially. Like I wasn't allowed to have any other friends. I was completely his. And at the time, I I don't know what I was thinking at the time. I was young, and I don't know what I was thinking at the time. I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't know what it is. I didn't even realize it was bad. I guess I was just so used to doing this at home um, that I just, it sort of like felt normal to me to just be ruled and controlled. Um, maybe it's my comfort. Like I just, this is what I was used to doing. Um, and then slowly, so, so he sort of, at first he groomed me and then he started manipulating me. So he really, really had me, you know, he, he had me because he gave me love and he had me because he owned me. Um, and then he religiously like kept on knocking me. On and on and on, that I'm not good enough in religion and I'm not this enough and I'm not bad enough. And I really listened to him and I really took it to heart. Like, you know, I'm not religious enough and I'm not good enough and I'm not close enough to God and I'm not this and I'm not that. And um, this is like over a couple of years. And actually, in the first uh, year or two, I would say, he was this whole relationship went on for 14 years. Um, the first couple of months of just like very innocent social uh social manipulation, religious manipulation. And then slowly, slowly, slowly he started um saying how much he loved the way I looked and he loved this and he loved that and he got you know, things were starting to get a little more physical. Um And I was very confused because I loved the love. I just hated the way the love was being given to me. But I I, I really loved the love because I never got love anywhere. So it was confusing to me, but I was just so trapped. Um, Of course, I couldn't tell anybody because nobody does this, or so I thought. Um, Nobody does this in the world, so I'm the total crazy one. And I couldn't tell my parents either because I had no relationship with them. So I just lived, you know, lived my life, you know, just kept on going, like just, uh, allow this to happen. And over the course of a couple of years, things just progressed pretty quickly, pretty, you know, steadily, I wouldn't say slowly, but steady. It was pretty quick, but steady. And things just progressed more and more and more physical until there was, you know, very, very, very inappropriate touch. There was sexual, like, I don't know how these I'm supposed to go, but there was, it was pretty, there was rape, there, there was, there was really, really, really lots of sexual activities going on there. Um, you know, heavy stuff, um, lots of, lots of very heavy, horrible and disgusting acts that were done towards me, um. In my particular case, I find that there are really a couple of of different types of abusers. Some of them like to pleasure the the victim, and that's the way they get turned on. And some of them like the, the victim to pleasure the abuser, and that's the way they get turned on. In my case, it was more, he loved pleasuring me, and he got turned on like that. And he didn't only pleasure me many, 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 many times, hundreds of times. He also... Um, used to study my body and he would just, we would somehow, I don't even know how nobody caught it. Like till today, I'm like, holy cow, nobody caught this. Um, we would go to hotels together and we would do really, really horrible things in there. And he would just lay me down and study every single part of my body. And just like, um, completely just like with, with, with a thirst that I've never seen in my life. divulge, divulge me just like completely, completely, completely just, just, yeah, he, he couldn't, he, like, he couldn't get enough of me. Like, like he just would, the noises of pleasure that he would make, I'll never forget. old now I'm in my thirties and I'll never forget, um, things that he did to me, I'll never forget. And being that he studied and, and adored my body so much, um, you know, I have body shame from head to toe because pretty much that's really what he did from head to toe. Um, he really, you know, commented and enjoyed every single part of my body, literally from head to toe. My think like every single thing, I wasn't only the private parts. It was every single part of my body. Um, and I'm not going to go into detail because it's really painful, but it's, you know, just you. everyone could use their imagination and there was rape going on. There was very, very horrible things going on. And um, all the time, you know, I felt like I was different. You know, there was the whole world on one side, and then there was me and him on the other side. Nobody does this. I am crazy. I am nuts. I'm completely antisocial. I'm retarded. Nobody in the world ever, ever does these kind of things. And when I, I used to tell him once in a while, like, are you sure? Like, like, this is okay. And he's like, oh, you're so naive. You're so stupid. Come on. Everybody does this. And he just like knocked it all away. But inside I felt so horrible and so so confused, so ashamed, so so guilty. Extremely, extremely, extremely guilty because because um I did enjoy it, which is a very, very, very strong part of the reason why sexual abuse is so much guilt is because the body does react, and if I enjoyed it, I obviously wanted it. And if I wanted it, then I'm dirty and crazy. And it took many, many years of work to let go of that guilt, um, to realize that that this was, you know, not me. <laughs> this is a one-way, narcissistic, horrible relationship.
0: Was your abuser older than you, or was he your peer in age?
1: So he was about my age. I don't know, the honestly, I don't know the exact, his exact age. He was about my age, which is a very important point that I want to talk about. Um, I suffered a lot of shame and guilt because I never believed that I was actually sexually abused because I always looked at sexual abuse. It's from a mature 50 or 40 year old to a vulnerable five year old, 10 year old. I never looked at it as, as this. And it took me years. I didn't disclose of my abuse for years. I was married for many years before I even disclosed of anything. I was in therapy for many years before I said anything. And I always knew that my first question at the therapist are gonna be, were you ever touched or whatever, whatever. And I always used to cringe and say, no, I was never touched inappropriately. But I, I was, my soul was screaming out, yes, I was touched inappropriately. But the reason why I said no was because I felt that he was sort of my age, and therefore it was more of a mutual kind of thing. And I'm the bad one, I'm the dirty one. And this is a message that I want to, one of the messages that I want to bring out is that age does not play a role. Gender doesn't play a role. It's it's basically somebody from a higher power to a lower power, or even the same power, but it's non-consensual. If this was completely non-consensual, I didn't want this. I don't care if he was younger, I don't care if he was my age, and this is what I know now after so many years of work. But now I know, and I want people to know, that it doesn't make a difference, age doesn't make a difference, and gender doesn't make a difference. It's all about a place of power, and he had a place of power over me because I was so vulnerable, and because I was so vulnerable, and he was a lot stronger than me, so, he, like, you know, I was, although I was a teenager, I probably had the strength of a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, like, you know, the emotional strength and the social capability of a the, of the five-ten-year-old, and therefore he got me. Um, but that's so important because I'm sure that there are many cases out there that people don't come out because they're afraid that being that their abusers their age, maybe it was consensual, maybe it was just playing around, maybe this, maybe that, but I know from my own story, and doing so much work in it that it's completely not, you know, age is not a factor, and and neither is gender. You know, you can have all the, like, male, male you know, doesn't make a difference, but it's all, anything non-consensual is all, is all abuse. It's all rape. It's the same thing. Absolutely. So, that answers your question. But uh, it's, that's something that I struggle with for men. I, I still struggle with it, but... Thank God! After lots of lots of work, I I came to realize that, and that's a very 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 important point that I I want to bring out. Um. So we got married. So sort of we separated ways after throughout this. Um, you know, this is a very like I said, it was a 14 year relationship, and sort of both of us got married, and we sort of. He Obviously, he couldn't continue the sexual abuse, but there was quite a bit of sexual abuse even afterwards in different ways, more like in words, like talking about inappropriate things. wasn't really, or forcing me to talk about inappropriate things. It wasn't really um, you know, physically sex, um, sexually abusive, but it was more emotionally sexually abusive, and he continued his emotional abuse and religious abuse. Um, I did confront him after... And, and then I caught up toys from him, basically, and I did confront him, and he, I didn't confront him in person because I couldn't do it. I confronted him with a text in my therapist's office, and it was one of the hardest things I did in my life. And for two days, he did not respond. And what he responded two days later, I was in the middle of working, I'll never forget, and I literally fell down from his I physically, I fell onto the floor from his response. And his response was basically throwing it all on me. It's It's not his fault. He he doesn't know what I'm talking about. We had such good times together. This is all neutral. Like, basically denying the whole thing, throwing it all on me. Why am I saying this? Like, just throwing everything on me. And it was so excruciatingly painful. Like, I just wanted some validation, some apology, something. Like, you know, I'm not even looking to put him into jail, but at least get me something give me some sort of something you know but he, he gave me none of that and and i actually I, I was so hurt i was really hurt for a long time and i did a lot of studies on it afterwards and i came out and i spoke to um organizations J- jcw is an amazing organization and i spoke to others and it comes out that most abusers deny their abuse and um that, that, that's what they do. And honestly, like looking back now that I have much, a much more clear picture of what he is, I'm not surprised at all because he's a real narcissist, horrible human being. So of course he's going to deny it. So and denied. He did, you know, he really did. And that was very, very painful, but I guess it was, it's all part of it. You know, it's all part of his, uh, his damage. Um, so this is basically my story in a very, very small nutshell. I mean, I've written my story many times. It's pages and pages and pages long. but in I don't know how long this is, but this is basically my story in a in a very short nutshell.
0: Well, thanks so much for opening up. I did want to bring out the fact that the guilt that comes with he's not, you know, an older like when you think of an abuser, you think of somebody older in a position of power or just being older. And here there's someone your age and that delayed your healing by so long because you couldn't even, even with all the information you had, you weren't able to let go of, well, all the guilt he put on you, but the the guilt you put on yourself because of this peer relationship. So I think it's important that you talked about that.
1: No, it is. It is very, no, it is, because it, it, it's a shame, because, you know, obviously, you know, I'll keep this, um, I'll keep this, you know, audience um, approved, uh, okay, but obviously in marriage, you know, there are many, 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 many triggers because of, you know, sexual abuse leads to many, many triggers in marriage, obviously, because you perform similar acts in marriage than you perform, than, than you had done to you in while you were sexually abused, and you know, I never real, I never told my wife for many years, and I never, you know, I just, I, I just clocked out, I just disassociated, I didn't enjoy, you know, intimacy. It was just a very, very horrible thing for me, and I, I didn't even realize why it was so hard, and I just totally clocked out, and I just, it was just a, a source of pain. And uh, looking back now, I, I wish somebody would have told this to me. And the reason why I never told anybody is because I believe that it was all my fault because it was my age. And I believe, you know, all the guilt and all the shame and everything I just sat with, nightmares and nightmares and, and, oh, my gosh, the flashbacks and triggers and everything. And a big, big part of that was because of this this age thing. And I wish somebody would have told this to me, you know, right away. It could have saved me so much pain and it would have saved me so many years of, of not, you know, I I didn't speak about it for so long because of this. And I wish somebody could have told this to me earlier. So I'm telling everyone and I, I feel like standing on a truck and a loudspeaker and just telling the whole entire world, that if you're being abused by somebody your age, it is not okay. And my therapist always tells me you could have abusive marriages where the spouse is the same age, as you know the whoever whoever's abused you know you can have husband abusing wife or wife abusing husband, they're the same age, and they're still being abused sexually emotionally you, you know what I mean like and so age doesn't make a difference and, and and when it comes to when it comes to abuse it's all if you're consensual or, or if you're not consensual and um that was such an important piece and honestly like I'm in therapy for eleven years i i and although I knew this. You know, after, you know, I disclosed this after seven years of therapy, I just sat I just broke down crying to one of my therapists and I said, you know, I, I need to tell you something that I never told us, told us all. And she's like, what? And I said, <clears throat> I wasn't abused, but I did some terrible things as a child. And that was my words. I did some terrible things as a child and as I was talking more and more, more and more about it, she was like, one second, this is not something that you did as a child. This is full-fledged molestation. This is total sexual abuse that he did to you. You have no right saying you did this as a child. And it wasn't until a few months ago that I did a very, very, very heavy um, trauma treatment. And it was, it was about a three-month, four-month program that I did. I mean, it wasn't a rehab. I mean, I've gone through rehab, you know, for a week, uh, a week long rehab, which helped me pretty much. But it wasn't until I did this four month program uh, outpatient that wasn't inpatient um, that it really, 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 really turned things into perspective. Because I really, really went into the story a lot, very, very, very deeply into every single part of the story. And I just had to, like, see it for myself that it really was not me. And that that's pretty much the only thing that took away the guilt. Um, but I still suffer from lots and lots and lots of shame because I went through the story so much. So I just ended up with a lot of shame, like a lot of body shame and like, Oh my gosh, like my whole body was so defiled and so, so dirty and so, you know, it's so disgusting. Like I just don't want this body. Um, but I just, you know, I have my hard days. I have my easy days, and I've been through a lot, a lot, a lot of types of therapy and a lot of years of therapy. And I, I, I really, I'm not, I, I don't give up easily. I'm not somebody to quit. I'm not a quitter. And and I, I I've done so many different treatment modalities. I'm on medication, which I, I, I'm very, very into, and I really think people should, you know, if they need the medication, they should not hesitate to take the medication. And um, I really, really try very hard, and I keep on saying this, I got, you know, my motto, I just told somebody today, my motto is that I haven't come this far to only go this far. And I do believe that I will get past it, you know. So, no, I can't get a timeline because there's no timeline for trauma. Um, especially, I have so much trauma from my childhood, from my family, and so many different things that went on over there. And it happened at the same time as my sexual abuse, so it's all intertwined. Like everything is all intertwined, and all one big piece of like 25 years of trauma. Um, but there is hope out there. There really is, and and you know I could have. Very, I do have some very good days, and I do have some very, very, very bad days. Um, But I have to tell myself on the bad days, and it's what I tell people that I talk to, that just because you have a bad day, it doesn't mean you're back to square one. It means you had a bad day. But you still, you didn't lose whatever you gained in therapy until now. You didn't, if you have a bad day, if you have a very strong trigger, or a very strong flashback, it doesn't take away what you've, all the healing that you've done. It's just a bad day, and tomorrow's a new day. It's not, you know, I have people, and myself, like, Oh my gosh! Like I didn't like uh, I had a bad day. How could that be? And I fallen back, and I'm back to square one, and then whatever, whatever, whatever. It's not true. It's I had a bad day, and I tomorrow's a new day, and I still kept, you know, I, I still, I, I still own all the work that I've done in therapy.
0: It's funny you say that because with I I agree with what you're saying. However, in the the addiction world. If an addict relapses, they have to start from day one again. And it's so painful to do that and go through that because it's straight up and it's counting, it's numbers. It's not somebody's telling you, you're going back to day one, to right. one.
1: I hear that. So thank God, by some miracle, I'm not sure myself how I didn't get into any addictions. Um, I did self harm, I had self harming, I have suicidal ideation. Um, I do have things, but I somehow did not get into addiction. So I'm not very familiar with that. Um, but I, I know for myself and I know from others that that I've spoken to that in healing, it's like two steps front. It, like there's always times that you fall down and that doesn't mean that you lost everything because you worked so hard to get to where you are. It's like you climb a mountain. If you fall down a few steps, you still climb. If you climb... Uh, 10,000 steps and you fell down 500 steps, you still have 9,500 steps that you climbed. You know, it's not like, you know, you still
0: learn, you know. Yeah, totally. So I do want to ask you more about your transition. So you said that a lot of this came out almost recently. I mean, you were married already. How how did this affect your relationship in a way where, I don't want to say, did your wife feel like there was something about you that you weren't sharing? Did she see anything? And obviously not obviously, but I would think any from young girl who gets married wouldn't know to recognize any signs or she wouldn't know anything uh, in an intimate way because she's never had the experience. Right. And again, these are all assumptions. Right. But how how did this come out and how did this affect your marriage, if you'd like to talk about that?
1: Sure. Okay, so the, the way that, the way, it, it did not, it, it, affected my mar- it affected my marriage, my intimate life, however it didn't affect hers. And the, the reason, the way that happened, it sounds funny, but the way that happened was because one of my coping skills as a child throughout all the trauma in my life, um, you know, they say that there's three things in a, in a dysfunctional family. Um, there's three unwritten rules. <laughs> there are three rules that are unwritten, sort of. Um, and that is don't talk, don't feel, and don't trust. Um, another is just be seen and don't be heard. And I'm like, don't feel anything and don't talk and don't say anything and don't trust us all. And again, you know, th- that was my coping skill as a kid and that was the rules in my house. Just just be there, but don't, don't show any emotions. Don't talk about your emotions. Emotions are not safe to be spoken about. Um, and then again, while I was being abused for so many years, the only way I was able to cope and live on with my life and and function halfway normally and just be normal like semi socially normal, and not this awkward guy because I really wasn't. If you look at me as a teenager, if you look at me now, if you look at me five years ago and the story first like busted, you would I, I don't look like a a um a socially off guy at all. And the only way I was able to do that was by just disconnecting and disassociating and just like, you know, splitting. It's called parts work. Like you could split, you know, you could split your emotions in the way, you know, your physical body and your emotions. You could, And I'm a real expert at that because that was my coping skill as a child and a teenager. And that's basically what I did. Um, that's basically what I did you know, to protect myself after I got married for the first seven years before I disclosed anything to my wife, and which is why she did not, under, you know, she didn't see anything. Um, afterwards, like, only recently, I'm telling her, like, do you realize that, like, after we had intimacy, I was very quiet or during intimacy, I was very quiet? Like, do you realize that? And she's like, oh, and, like, that we have, if she had, like, the aha moment, like, you know, like, oh, you're right. Like, I never even realized it. but. You know that's what that was because i was just checked out you know i wasn't there because i couldn't i couldn't do this but i had to because i had no choice and i couldn't tell her because i was convinced that it's my fault because i enjoyed it i mean sort of i i mean i didn't enjoy it but you know what i mean my, my body physically reacted to it and he was the same age as me so you know, my brain was telling me that it was all my fault. I could not tell her because who knows what's gonna happen if I tell her, so I just had to clock out and that's why she she didn't she didn't um she didn't pick up anything because I was able to do that because of that you know that strength that I had, and that's pretty much what like that's really how I survived. I think that's how I became that's how I didn't fall into addiction, that's how I didn't fall into this stuff, because I just clocked out of my emotions, and I just didn't allow it to, didn't allow myself to feel. I was in therapy for many years, like, my first therapy session was three months after I got married, and it was just focused on my childhood, and this thing, and that thing, anxiety, depression, and all, everything else other than my sexual abuse, and I just, like, but I, I just wasn't happy no matter how much work I did. And finally, I decided one day enough is enough and I'm just going to open up about it. Um, so that's how she didn't um, get it. Um, once I opened up about it, um, the more work I did, um, it has really, really affected both of our lives. Um, and, you know, it just made intimacy so much harder and so much more triggering for me because everything was out in the open and everything was raw and just everything was out there and so raw and so painful and so, yeah, whatever. So, you know, there are times that I'm just so frustrated and so angry at my abuser for killing, you know, officially what's the most beautiful thing in a marriage for just stealing it from me. And I'm just like, I want to just kill this guy, but obviously it's not going to help. I'm not going to kill him, but and it's not going to help to kill him because I still I'm still going to struggle with it. Um, but yes, now that it's all open, it has it has had a tremendous effect on on the intimate part of my marriage, which is very very challenging. And obviously, in the Jewish world, it's a very you know taboo closed subject, so there's very little support out there for this you know for this part It was part of the abuse. But it, it definitely has a very, very strong effect on on intimacy, and it's it's hard. But I, I always promise my wife that I promise, 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 I will heal and I will get there because I've I've broken through so much and I've broken so many barriers that I will heal. Even though at times when I tell her that I don't really believe what I'm saying because sometimes I'm just in so much pain. Um, but I just I, you just gotta keep on keeping on because. I believe it, uh, I believe it's possible to heal with a lot of work.
0: It's true. And you have a very supportive and patient wife. So you have a team yeah. working for you. It's not just you. Right. I do want to touch upon a topic that might be also informative and helpful. So you mentioned how part of the grooming process was also his religious abuse. So I'd like to go into that. I think that's unique to our community. Well, it's unique to any cult or religion, but what does that look like? How does that affect you till today? Like what are certain consequences that you're still dealing with because of that spiritual abuse?
1: Right. So, um, great question. And the answer is, uh, it's actually, I find it funny because I've had religious, lots of religious abuse at home. Like, religion was stuffed down my throat in a very horrible way by my parents. And it's so interesting that my abuser did literally the same thing. Um, So I don't know which affected what. Like, I don't know which was the main cause. I I do have a lot of, a lot of um, damage from all that religious abuse till today. Like, tremendous amount of damage um i'm not sure which is from my father and which is from my parents i should say which is from my parents and which is from him but it definitely like he definitely had a big part of it as well um i think he did it because he wanted to show me that he's better than me it was like all to show me that he's better than me and he's smarter than me um, I'm not good enough. God doesn't like me. I'm not a strong believer. I'm not this. I'm not that. And he's better. And he's better. And I find just stories that, I'm, that I, because I talk to a lot of abuse, you know, abuse victims, and and a lot of it is all the all in the name of religion, or they just say they're more religious to say like, oh, I'm allowed to do it because I'm more religious. Or it's either like they they, they talk about religion a lot to show, to say that I'm allowed to do it because I'm more religious, so therefore, like, I'm special and God lets me do it. Like, somehow they figure out a way to make that work. Or they just, it's putting them in a place of power over you. Like, I'm better than you, so if I'm better than you, then you better listen to me because I'm stronger, better and always, socially, religiously, and and everything like that. Um, And how did it affect me? Tremendously. Like, oh my gosh, like... Uh, learning today is, uh, is, is is tremendously challenging. Today, um, Davening is tremendously challenging. He used to always, always on a daily basis, a bunch of times a day, yell at me how how slow and stupid I am in learning, how I'm never going to be anything in learning, and how I'm just just he constantly berated me how 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 I'm not enough in religion and. And, um, it affects it affects me so much today and in, in in um in, in everything with religion. I'm just like anything, anything that 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 brings me about learning I literally cannot open up a book to learn or to study because I just can't. I'm so nauseated from it. now, i I know that the Torah is true. And I know that God gave the... T- like, I'm not questioning that. And I don't hate God. I don't. But I just... I can't do it. I cannot open up a book. Because if I open a book, I'm just, like, so nauseated from the whole thing. Um, and I I think a big part of it is my abuser, actually, more than my father. Um, you know, he just gave me such a disgust toward the Like, like oh, come on, like... When I finally freed myself from him, I was like, "Fuck you! Like, I don't want this. Like, I don't want this. I don't want this. Um, this learning. I'm davening also. Like, it's very. I, I don't daven. I cannot daven. Um, I can't say the words. I literally. I choke. I I, I. I. can't say the words. I just. I. I cannot say the words of davening. Um, I can't do it. I just can't. And the reason why I'm from today is because I've spent. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous amount of time, um, basically redoing my religion and, and realizing um, that that God is true, and God is pure, and God is holy, and anybody, any ruff or place, or anybody in, in the religion, anybody, any ruff or community, community leader who claims to be like coming from a place of heavy religion and whatever, 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 who I've been to, who have been very harmful to me, who denied my story. Like, I don't know. I've just been, like, very, very non-validated from Rabbanim and stuff like that. And I just, I, I learned that I have a direct connection to Hashem, to God, and I don't connect to God through learning or through Davening, or through rabbanim, or through the school, system, like through like my my rabbayim and my teachers, I connect to God because I call myself God's son and I talk to him like he's my father, without anything else like in between, and that's the way I. That's that's why I'm still from. But other than that, like I don't. Uh, there's a lot of rule that I cannot keep. um... I can't keep for my safety, for my sanity. I just cannot keep it, and I was told that I'm not allowed to keep it because it's not safe for me to keep. But I'm not. I'm not throwing away my religion. In other words, the reason why I don't keep it is not because I'm angry at God. I'm not. Although He has put me through a lot of a lot of challenges in my life, but I'm really not angry at God. I'm just very angry at like the middlemen. You know what I mean? Like the you know my the way I was taught religion and It's so it's also wrong and it's also not fear and so it's just not right It's just not right and it's not fear and that's what kept me from that's that's why i'm from today, but You know i don't always go to shul because i can't always go to shul and even when i do go to shul I don't say the words i just talk to him and i say god I I can't say the words and i'm just going to talk to you and i just pretend that i'm davening, but i just talk to god and i say God, I I love you and I'm sorry that I can't say these words because they're too triggering for me, but I'm just going to pray to you and please give me a good whatever and thank you for whatever. You know, I just like sort of like developed a relationship with him, but not like a very direct relationship, but not through any other medium because the other mediums were too, are, are too triggering and some of them are fake and like so not real and so wrong. So that's, that's how I um that's pretty much my religious life, you know that's uh that's how I think when I was younger, I really would have gone off of the barrack as a kid, like I was a typical kid to go off of the barrarack because of everything going on at home, but I just didn't because I was too afraid of my parents, so I think that's really why I didn't go off, but if not for that like fear of my father i would i I would have been off like without a doubt, like, no question, I would have been off. And again, like, I I suffer from anger a lot, like, not anger in my family, I just mean, like, I have my times, a lot of times that I'm angry at God, a lot of times that I'm angry at God, but somebody once told me, and it's so true, like, there's nothing wrong with being angry at God, you're allowed to be angry at God, because God is so great that He doesn't care if you're angry at Him, and He understands you, but if you're angry at God, it just shows that you believe there's a God. Like, you could be happy with God, you could be angry at God, but but you even being angry at God is okay, because you believe that there's a God. So, like, that's another very important message. People are, like, angry at God, and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm angry at God, and who knows what's going to be with me, and God hates me, and God this, and God that, and then they want to just, like, throw it all away, because God is so angry at me, because, because I'm angry at Him, He must be angry at me, and, you know, God doesn't judge. He's very non-judgmental, and he doesn't, he, he gets it, like he's, he, he knows what you've been through and he knows everything, and he's not upset if if you're angry at him, because first of all, he's too great to be insulted if you're angry at him, and second of all, he gets it, you're, if somebody hurts you, you're entitled to be angry at them, and that doesn't mean that you are not a good person if you're angry at God, and this is something that I've had to work through for years. To redo my religion and redo my life. And this 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 is coming after so much hard work, really, really lots of hard work. And I'll say this piece, um, it's a little vulnerable, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Today's the day after Yom Kippur. And I had an extremely hard Yom Kippur. Well, my talk was, uh, from a very big rabbi who knows who really knows stuff. He really, really does. And and I was in a suicidal place the last few days and he commanded me that I'm not allowed to fast and I'm not allowed to go to shul and I'm not allowed to in a word and I'm not allowed to do a thing. And he said, this is your mitzvah this year. Onyam Kippur. You will be on your phone. You will be on your computer. You will eat. You will do whatever you need to do to stay alive and to stay healthy. You could drive to the park. You could do whatever you want because God doesn't care if not God doesn't care. God wants you to be alive and He wants you to be safe and He loves you and cares about you and, and He understands he, he understands everything. And it was a very hard it was very hard for me to do it, but I did it because of the result of all this all these years of work that I, I've come to believe and I, I'm still working on it to believe that God gets it. And he's not angry at me for doing what I did. And on the contrary, he's proud of me for doing what I did, which was, I promise you, it was much easier to fast and shool and stay there the whole day and the than what I did. But I just did it because I had to look after my safety. And that's really, you know, people would, if they hear this, they would think I'm out of my mind, but I'm not. <laughs> like God is okay with, you know, God gets it. You know what I mean? God gets it all. And I think that's a very important
0: piece. It's very true. And especially in preparation for the high holidays, I heard on a bunch of other podcasts like Intimate Judaism with Tali Roseman, Rabbi Scott. This yes, is amazing. Yeah. And I also heard on Bariana's podcast, uh, Women of Valor with Ruchi Koval. They spoke a lot about, you know, being angry with God or bringing up real emotions. Because basically, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is a time when we re engage, reevaluate our relationship with God. And If everything's always perfect and amazing and you in every day like nothing ever goes on in your life, that is considered a very superficial relationship. In a marriage, if everything's always perfect, then it's probably not the best marriage ever. So bringing up and having emotions, and that's how you show God that this is an authentic, a real relationship that ultimately it becomes a deeper and more real authentic relationship and there's nothing wrong with it. So I found that to be very on point and I'm happy you had uh, guidance from a religious authority who is guiding you or give, showing you support and validation and belief, which is a lot of the things that have been lacking and missing all the way from your physiological people such as your parents, uh, all the way to your communal support. And I think we'll end with this. I'd like to ask where you are at with your relationship with your parents. What What is that like?
1: Yeah, so I, I just want to say one more point, and then I'll answer that question. A very, very strong point is that males are taught that they're not allowed to show emotion, and they have to be macho, and they have to be... Um, and not show any emotion and not show any vulnerability. And if you look at statistics and you look at studies, you'll see that most um, people who are in therapy are females and not males. And there are very, very, very few, if any, support groups that have males in it. Um, I've been trying to search for male um, sexual abuse groups for males, and it's pretty much non-existent, especially in the Jewish world. It's like non-existent, and I just joined one recently that's officially co-ed, and I'm the only male there. And of course, I felt weird, but I—I I, I was just like yet another proof that males out there just don't talk. And I feel like you know, it—it's it, so backwards, and it's so—it's so hard because there's so much loneliness in the male world, and there's so many victims out there who are males, and it's such a shame that they're all alone. Like, for all you know, your next-door neighbor is a victim. And, like, it's so, such a shame that males feel like they have to keep everything, that they have to man up and just swallow everything and not seek out, not seek out the help that they need. And, you know, in truth, I always say there's nothing stronger. Not Like, if, if you want to say that men are strong and macho and masculine, there is nothing in the world that's stronger than sitting in a therapy room talking about the horrors and trauma of your life and being vulnerable to your therapist, I don't think there's anything that, that takes more strength than that. And, and and I've been there so many times, and just, like, just just going in there and just talking about the most horrific things or working on the most horrific things or changing your beliefs or changing, you know, like, I I, I told God yesterday, like, you have M Kipper one day. I have M Kipper every day of my life. Like every day, I'm working on myself. I go to therapy now. <clears throat> now I go once a week, but there were times that I went three times a week. I went to rehab. I went, you know, I. This is what I do all day, like self-reflection and and figuring, like you know, working on myself. And I tell all males, like uh, my message to all males out there are: please, 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 please don't suffer in silence. There is no reason for it, and the exact contrary like if you're you're looking for if you want to feel like you're strong and macho try going to a therapy session like that is the epitome of strength to go sit in a therapist room and talk about the most terrific things and i I come home from therapy sometimes i'm completely drained completely from 45 minute session And, and you know i'm pretty strong i've been through a lot and and that I and mean, I, my stress level is very high I could deal with a lot but my stress level my, my, my a 45 minute session a heavy session could literally throw me throw me down you know not throw me down in a bad way but just completely wear me out and that takes strength so talking about strength like you know if males want to be strong and be macho come to therapy let's do this and stop you know hiding and being under this fake facade of being strong and being macho and hiding your emotions because it's so not true so not necessary and it's such a shame and it's so it's so painful for me to hear like you know even the suicide rates they say four out of five suicides are males because of this and that's so sad it's so sad that there are so many males out there that suffer in silence. so that's a very very important message and I really want uh, that's like another message I want to scream out on the to loudspeaker to the whole world just males come out talk about it you know um okay getting back to my parents so my relationship with my parents is not very good at all um very 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 painful strange relationship that i have with them um it's on and off it's there were times that it was on and there are times that it's off i, I try to like fix things up and 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 had a relationship with them but then we sort of stopped the relationship then we started again and we stopped and like I sort of find that every time I talk to them and had a relationship with them I just fall back to my old places where I used to be and I'm coming to realize that they're really really not capable of having a relationship they're just not socially um not socially emotionally up to par. They're just not. They're just really, really not. And like, I've done so much work on myself, and I just can't afford to lose my lose my work and go back to like such a low. I don't want. I don't want to say I'm better than them because I don't want to sound holy And I'm whatever. I just I I can't. I just I can't talk to them because they just bring me to such a low place, such a low state, and I just cannot talk to them. So I sort of had like a very cold relationship which is very painful. And although they hurt me so much, but you know, blood is stronger than water, I think the term is. And, you know, it, it is painful that I have no family. My siblings are all with my father, with my parents and I'm pretty much the only one who who like did this journey. And it, it's very painful that I don't have a family and I don't have parents. But I have no choice. Like I need to separate for my sanity. So, you know, every there are times that I talk to them. there are times that I don't, and even when I do talk to them, it's very cold and not and not you know not a, a son father relationship. Um once in a while, I tell my wife like I'm looking for adoption I just need a family to adopt me because I don't have a family, I don't have parents um but that's pretty much where it's holding where my relationship with them is
0: wow. it's a long journey. it's not finished. There are good days and bad days, and you're you're putting in your work. I I thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing. And just for your information, we did get a bunch of interest from from men to come onto the show. So just to attest to your to your mission and your loudspeaker, which this is a platform for you to use a loudspeaker for. Um, we hope to destigmatizes for men and help men get that community that is lacking. It's so true. Men do um, suffer heart attacks more than women or die of them. I'm not sure of the statistics exactly, but that does have to do with holding on to emotions and not letting go. Dealing with what you have is definitely takes a lot more strength than avoiding it or suppressing it. Thank you so much for being brave and strong and coming out. And you said there's a way for people to reach you if they'd like to contact you?
1: Oh, yeah. They could email me at, it fighting keepfighting550, at 550, at gmail.com. That's, that's one word, keepfighting550 at gmail.com. If anybody wants to reach me, um, I'll be more than happy to, I'm not a therapist, but I've been through a lot, and a lot of, I've been through a lot of garbage, and I've been through also a lot of. I've been through a lot of trauma and I've been through a lot of healing. So just from my experience, I try to help people. So if anybody wants to reach out, um, they're more than welcome to reach out to me.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Chaim, we wish you Hatzlacha. We wish you strength and and success and a good year.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Again, this is is like a milestone for me, a, a true milestone, because if you would have told me even six months ago or a year ago, that I would actually come out and speak, I wouldn't have believed you. So I'm very grateful to God and to my therapist and to myself that i reached this point. It's it's tremendous. So I'm, I'm thanking you for being part of this milestone.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the No More Silence series of The Francisca Show. I am in the talks with Ora and JCW so we can get some more coverage on these topics. And if you would like to write in or request to be on the show, please do so by emailing me at franciscakay at gmail.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S-K-A-K-A-Y at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and go to iTunes and leave us a good review. With your review, the show will rank higher and help others discover the show. This Francisca Show podcast will be hosting a No More Silence special on abuse once a month. However, do check in on other weeks for the interviews with female Jewish creatives. See you next time.